welcome in everyone and thank you for listening to the 116th ever episode of the missouri sports podcast brought to you by 106 apparel and recording from home one more time not the revel advertising studio uh if you want to hear the whole story of why we're recording on zoom this time uh you'll have to go to the previous episode 115 but uh nevertheless i'm one of your hosts cameron albert alongside my good friend and fellow mizzou fan kyle devries how are you doing today kyle cameron i'm great how are you all right uh, yeah i'm doing great um if if you want to hear like i said if you want to hear that funny story about uh, how we ended up in little boxes on your uh, TV or computer screen. Um, listen to episode 115. Yep, it involves a pandemic that you may have heard of. <laughs> yes, spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert, uh, we're alive and we'll be okay. But yes. Literally all that took longer than what you told the story in the first, first the last episode. Well, well you gotta keep things fresh, okay? Uh, we got a big Mizzou basketball season preview on our hands, Kyle. It's a wonderful time of year. Maybe one of your favorites. I don't know. You've got so many of them. Um, and basketball and football are going to be overlapping here for a little bit. And uh, we get to see some new players, some old players in the Mizzou black and gold. And they're going to be on the court here in just a few days, a week from when we're recording this, but it'll be just a couple days uh, from when the fine folks out there are listening to this. Very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And uh, you know me well that uh, I obviously get excited when a new uh, season is beginning and I love to have the, the two sports overlap for sure. But um, this year, it's just a, an extra special gift. It feels like just to be able to watch sports because there's so much uncertainty out there and with football, I mean, we're just praying that we're going to have a game, you know, every weekend and sometimes it doesn't happen. And uh, it sounds like the behind the scenes scheduling for college basketball this season was an absolute cluster. And I really didn't know what was going to happen with scheduling. And so I'm just, I'm just thankful that we're going to get most of a season probably. And um, just see our guys out there in the court pretty soon is, is really exciting. Yeah. I'll take every game we can get at this point. And uh like you mentioned, or as you alluded to, the, the scheduling for Missouri was kind of back and forth. Obviously, they were supposed to play Kansas. Um, the Illinois game was up in the air, but we got that scheduled. Um, there were so many like non-conference tournaments that are getting yes. disbanded and right. all that. Yeah, there still, still might be one of those happening for Missouri. We don't know, I don't think, at this point. Um, there's, there are still some non-conference games that looked like for a while, maybe there would only be conference seasons, like, kind of like what we've seen in the SEC for football. But um, looks like we'll have something approaching a pretty normal schedule for Missouri basketball. Uh, before we get into that, we are going to look back at last year, um, see if there's anything memorable that will help us help inform us for this coming season. Uh, we'll take a look at the roster, uh, who we're losing, who we're adding, and, of course, the returning players um, play a few games with the potential starting lineups. And then we'll, we'll take a look at the schedule. And if we have time, we will do our yearly uh, streetball-style three-on-three uh, Mizzou basketball draft. Um, if we don't have time, we might bump that to the next episode. So we'll see. We'll see how much we can ramble on Yeah, about the roster and the schedule. <laughs> Uh, so last season, um, Missouri finished 15 and 16 
11 or sorry, seven and 11 in conference. Um, I was looking back through the, the schedule. Obviously there were some notable games, uh, the overtime loss to Xavier, um, the Bragging rights win over Illinois, the absolute abomination that was the Charleston Southern game. Um, then in conference season, we had a, the beatdown of Florida, overtime win against Arkansas, heartbreaker against LSU, um, senior day win at the end of the season against Alabama. Those are kind of some that sprung to mind for me. Uh, did any of those stick out in particular for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Xavier game. I'd almost completely forgotten about that game. Um, but that was really kind of the first game we, we realized that Missouri's going to have some offensive struggles. I mean, we knew that that could be a, a possibility. At the time, I think we maybe just thought Xavier had an incredible defense, and they did have a good defense, but that was definitely foreshadowing of things to come. Um, and a couple of those games I didn't even get to watch. The Charleston Southern game, I was out of the country and didn't have to watch it. And uh, the Florida beatdown, I didn't get to watch that game either, but still very memorable games uh, along the way there for Mizzou, and they truly had some real ups and downs. Yeah, one that uh, I'll, I won't forget, but uh, probably a lot of other people will, will be the uh, Chicago State game. Um, I was actually there in person when Torrance, Torrance Watson broke the or set a new Mizzou Arena um, single-game three-point make record. And I was there with uh, my dad and my two little brothers. And of course there was nobody in the arena. So we, at halftime, we moved way down to the, like the second row. And so we got a, a really nice view of um, Torrance Watson breaking that record. And my two little brothers just thought that was the coolest thing ever. They've, they've made it a habit of like just memorizing the entire Mizzou basketball roster. And um, they took the program from that game and used that as their study guide to know who, who every player was and what their number was and everything. That's awesome. Yeah, speaking of ups and downs, Torrance Watson's your guy. I mean, he is about as streaky as it gets, so hopefully we'll, yeah. uh, we'll see him kind of cement himself in uh, a little bit more uh, consistency this year. Yeah, last season, um, Missouri actually started the year ranked 38th in Ken Palm, and um, Bart Torvik was even higher than that. And we knew that was because um, – Mark Smith and Drew Smith, and then uh, guys like Jeremiah Tillman, you know, being their third year in the program, um, the analytics just really expected a lot out of those guys. And basically, I mean, maybe you could chalk it all up to injuries with um, Mark Smith and, and Tillman, but obviously we didn't see on the floor what uh, the analytics thought we might we might see um, Drew Smith, I think for the most part held up his end of the bargain. And then uh, Xavier Penson came on late and showed what he's capable of. But uh, with Mark Smith and Tillman, I think they were a big part of those analytics uh, websites, you know, having Missouri pretty high up there in the preseason rankings. And when they got hurt and it was just tough for Missouri to overcome that. Yeah. I mean, you could absolutely see, why the analytics thought this team might be good. And I think we remember, I remember us thinking like, Oh, that seems awfully high. Yeah. Um, and it's awfully generous, but you know, we'll see. And, you know, we, we really saw what Missouri could be, you know, in some of those highs and we saw what can happen if they try and sleepwalk through games because they just weren't talented enough to do that. Um, they, they couldn't have an off night and still pull out a victory, even against a really bad team. So yeah, we it just it was really interesting that Missouri could not find 
consistency at all last year. Yeah. Um, with Tillman out, oh, I'll kind of segue us into the roster breakdown here. So we'll start out with some players that we lost. Uh, obviously, we lost Reed Nico to graduation. Um, he was the go-to guy at the five spot when Tillman was out. And even when Tillman was kind of gradually, they kind of eased him back in uh, to some playing time. Tillman played in a couple games that Nico started. So um, losing him, I think, I hope, isn't a bigger deal than we expect. But at the same time, I could see there being a pretty obviously Reed Nico sized hole in this roster this year. Yeah, it's interesting whenever you kind of see guys, uh, you know, they've been in the program for a while and they have a chance to um, become comfortable and kind of own their role. I think we kind of saw that with Reed Nico a little bit at the end of his year uh, of last year. And I think we saw that with, uh, you know, Ryan Rosberg at the end of his career, guys that weren't really, you know, expected to contribute early on, they start to kind of realize, oh, okay, I, I'm expected to fill this role and I'm going to own it. And I, I think that Reed Nico did a nice job um, filling in and, and realizing that, you know, Tillman is going to be kind of an up and down with injuries and his foul trouble. And I've got to be the consistency um, here. And I think he did a, I think he did a nice job filling in there. Yeah. If you want to hear us talk even more about Reed Nico, we broke out a part of episode 79 um, on YouTube. So if you search uh, the Missouri Sports Podcast, Reed Nico on YouTube, you'll see a lot more of our thoughts on him. Um, talk to me about Trey Jackson and Mario McKinney. Just, I mean, obviously disappointing that uh, we couldn't get it to work with those two guys. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, sometimes it's it's really hard to hold on to heralded recruits um, that don't get a lot of immediate playing time. And I think sometimes as what we would probably think, hopefully rational fans who are on the outside of the program looking in, I think we've just kind of come to expect that, especially on a team with a lot of experience, newcomers may not carve out a, a huge role in the first year. And that goes for most sports. Um, so I think that we kind of expected that coming in that Trey Jackson and, uh, and Kobe Brown and, um, and uh, McKinney may not, have a huge impact coming in and that's just expected a freshman. But sometimes whenever you're living in the program and you're a heralded recruit, you expect to come in and, and start or you come in and, or have a, an immediate role. And that's just, just didn't really happen with those guys. You know, they, they were athletic, but they were raw and they just needed a, a little time to, uh, to develop, I think. And they had a lot of experience in front of them. It's really hard to realistically break the rotation with all of those things at hand. And, you know, maybe there's more to it than just playing time for those guys. I don't know, but you know, I think both of those guys have, have a chance to be successful at their other stops and maybe even make a little bit more sense for their playing style than it did in Missouri all along. Yeah, we now know Trey Jackson um, ended up at Seton Hall, which is a, an excellent program. And um, Mario McKinney went the JUCO route, but uh, or community college route, and he will have some Power 5 offers, I'm sure, and uh, definitely have a list of suitors to choose from. Um, when he's done with a year there. Um, well, let's move on to players that Mizzou added. Um, just the one traditional recruit. Um, so he'll be a true freshman. That's seven foot three inch big man, Jordan Wilmore. Pause there and we'll just get our thoughts on Wilmore real quick. Well, you know, it's kind of the same thing that I just said about uh, those other guys last year is I don't expect Jordan Wilmore to have much of a role this year. In fact, I kind of hope he doesn't. 
because that means that the guys we expect to contribute aren't, aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And, you know, I, I think that there's always room for, you know, a 7-3 guy to come in and, and be a good rim protector and stuff like that, even in his freshman year. Um, but I wouldn't really expect to see a whole lot more than that out of Jordan Wilmore. I think he's going to be raw. I think he's not going to be a scoring threat, at least initially. So I would just expect him to come in and contribute on the defensive end and get rebounds. Yeah. I echo those thoughts. Exactly. Um, some players that we might see a uh, greater con- contribution from uh, point guard transfer from Hawaii, Drew Bugs, and a Juco forward transfer, Ed Chang. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how Drew Bugs fits into the rotation because, you know, if we're we're extremely solid at point guard, you know, that with, with uh, Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson, that's about as solid as it gets as far as a you know, starting guards. And, you know, I think Drew Bugs might be able to bring a little bit of uh, a little bit to the table, but I would, you know, for the most part, expect him to be playing in a reserve role. And you know, I, I don't think that he's going to, he's not even really a, a scorer, even whenever he was playing 40 minutes a game at Hawaii anyway. So I think that he's going to look to come in and um, be a distributor and he might look to push the pace a little bit. Uh, maybe not, maybe not to the level of Penson, but um, you know, I, I hope that he can help kind of, bring an uptick in tempo um, to Missouri's game this year. I think that they finished two. Oh, let's see. I, I think Kim Palm had him at 267th and adjusted tempo last year. That's pretty dang slow. And I yeah. think hopefully maybe drew bugs can help um, kind of bring some relief for the starters and maybe help just br- uh, keep that tempo at a good pace. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're bringing in a, just a competent ball handler who can see the floor decently, I think that allows you to play faster uh, more often because you just have bodies that can play that style. Yeah. Um, I was looking at Bugs, uh, Drew Bugs stats from last season at Hawaii. Um, he contributed in multiple ways, kind of a Drew Smith-esque box score here um, as far as his season averages. Uh, nine points per game, five assists, four and a half rebounds, one steal. Yeah, I definitely would expect his scoring averages to be a little bit lower than that. Um, but if guys are hitting shots, and I still think that he can he can get four or five assists a game. But you know, for the most part, I really do think that you know we'll we may only see him play twenty twenty five minutes a game because um, there's just not a huge role to carve out with with Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson hopefully playing you know thirty thirty five minutes a game. Yeah, and looking at his, at his uh, shooting percentages, maybe he's not a guy we want taking a ton of shots. Um, he only shot 26% from three and 41% from two yeah. uh, and I, in his junior season at Hawaii. And I think that he's a mature player. You know, he's experienced. He understands that's not his strong point. I think he'll, he'll look to be a distributor probably from the get-go. All right, Ed Chang. Um, he went the JUCO route. I, I can't remember where he signed originally out San of high Diego school. San Diego State? Yes, maybe? that's correct. So yeah. he's been he's had a couple couple uh, stops before Columbia. Yeah, th- this one's going to be a little bit harder to gauge because you know he just has had such limited playing time at the level in which he's going to be playing against this year and at the Power Five level. And you know he's uh, you know he has a lot of talent. I don't think that's ever been in question. But you know he's never been uh, exactly what he, you know he was billed to be at you know at where he was. And you know I think he was considered kind of a three-point shooter 
um, at San Diego State, but just didn't do that very well. And, uh, and he didn't he, – he he put up some points in the JUCO. I, I don't remember exactly what his averages were, but but they were better than they were at San Diego State. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's like I said, hard to gauge. I think he could come in and, and hit, some, hit a few threes every game. That would be great. Um, I don't really know what to expect out of him at the defensive level, but he's kind of the wild card. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think defensively he's at least got the body type to play multiple positions and switch on screens and stuff like that so that he can play the perimeter and, uh, you know, have that versatility. Offensively, I mean, we'll get to this in a bit, but Missouri was lacking uh, quality three-point shooters last season. So if you got a guy that I don't care where he played if last year, if he was shooting anything close to 40% from three, I'm willing to give him some looks from deep for Missouri this coming season. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be different playing against SEC defenses, but, but I agree. I mean, if he can, if he can hit shots consistently, then he's going to be able to carve out a role. Yeah. All right. So now we can move on to the returning players. Um, I got to ask you this question first. I split this up into guards and forwards. Now you tell me, I don't want you to tell me what you think the official roster says, but just you, what, would you call Javon Pickett a guard or a forward? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, probably a guard. Really? Okay. Well, then you agree with the official roster. I I had him down as a forward until... He's both. Yeah. It's just interesting that in, in 2020, in college basketball especially, you just basically have... There's just guards and forwards. You'll never see... I mean, Jordan Wilmore is listed as a forward. You'll, you don't see yeah. anybody listed as a center. You don't see anybody listed as a point guard versus a shooting guard. It's just... right guards and forwards which yeah i mean i guess javon pickett's game would more resemble drew smith's than jordan wilmore's but maybe but you know sure. it's still he's just exactly in the middle between both yeah i just uh from a defensive standpoint i see javon pickett guarding the three spot yeah not as much the two and probably a little bit more the four than yeah. the two yeah, on the defensive end, definitely, he's probably more like a forward. Yeah. Anyway, anyway I thought that was interesting. So uh, I've got him with the forwards here, but we'll, uh, we'll stick with what I'm calling guards, who are uh, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Xavier Penson, and Torrance Watson. Of course, Drew Smith uh, was kind of the, the heart and soul of the team last year. Uh, he led the team in points per game with uh, 12 and a half or so. Um, and then he was, I think, third on the team in rebounding. And then obviously uh, right up there with uh, Penson as far as assists per game. They kind of split those pretty evenly. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I thought Drew Smith kind of provided exactly what we wanted, just an all-around solid player who um, can score when needed and can facilitate first and foremost and play excellent defense. I think that's exactly what we got out of Drew Smith in his first year in Columbia. I agree. He can do everything well. And, you know, I don't know if he'll be expected to score as much. You know, I think Penson can probably take on more this year as far as a scoring threat, but obviously we're, we can always, you know, use that 10 points a game from Drew Smith. Yeah. And, and honestly, the only place, I mean, this is going to be 
redundant here in a bit, but I mean, the three point shooting was atrocious for most of the roster, most of the season. Um, and Drew Smith shooting under 30% from three. I mean, it's 29.4%. That's just not going to get it done, especially yeah. when you're shooting three, three pointers a game, which he averaged 2.7 threes attempted per game. Um, and then his, uh, his two-point field goal percentage was um, 46%. So that's closer to what you want to see. But not – I mean, the Missouri roster as a whole was not efficient scoring the ball or shooting. But Drew Smith didn't really help a whole lot in that regard. Hopefully there's some improvement there for his senior season. Yeah, you'd love to see the Wings be able to uh, provide a, a better spark from the three-point line so Drew Smith doesn't have to shoot threes because it's just really not what he's best at. And what he is best at is just going and getting the bucket whenever we really need it. You know, he's so good in mid-range and um, just being crafty in the lane. And that's his game and distributing probably more so than, than shooting threes. And sometimes he had to do it and he could do it. But I definitely don't think that's what the team will want to rely on um, this year. Well, if you want a guy who will play on the wing and will shoot a lot of threes, that would be Mark Smith. And he shot. 37% last year from three, which is perfectly fine. Um, when you couple that with how bad the rest of the roster is at shooting threes, it doesn't, it's not as good as it needed to be. But if, if we have a little bit of regression up to the mean for the rest of the roster, uh, Mark Smith shooting 37% is totally fine, um, especially if he's healthy and getting the number of looks um, his senior year that he did his sophomore season. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of the one guy that hasn't been able to stay healthy for a whole season. So hopefully he's able to do that this year. But, you know, one other thing, one mild criticism of Mark Smith is it seems like he always goes off against bad teams and yeah. kind of pads the stats against the uh, the Charleston Southerns and the, the Southern Illinois, but, uh, you know, struggles against good SEC competition. So, you know, if there's any way that he can take a step, it'd be to – hit the five or six threes in a game against an actual SEC team where we really need those, the scoring. Yeah, I was looking, I was actually just watching a couple highlight videos and he uh, poured it on late against um, Alabama in that last uh, game of the season where it, in his line ended up looking really good, but he was three for three from three in the last two minutes of the game when Missouri was just kind of closing it out, which that's helpful, but um, in a closer game when it's not uh, kind of in hand for Missouri, is he going to be able to step up and make those same shots? Yeah, I mean, that's a microcosm of his entire season. I think he hit like six or seven threes last year against Southern Illinois, and, you know, that's just that's great, and we'd love yeah. to see it. And Torrance Watson, same thing, you know, went off against Chicago State, but yeah. <laughs> just doesn't mean that much in a game we're winning by 40-plus. Right, right. Um. Mark Smith, though, Conzo uh, always talks about his uh, abilities on the defensive end, and uh, you can basically – he and Drew have them, both of those guys on the floor. You can almost shut down uh, the opposing backcourt um, when those two guys are healthy and active on the defensive end. Um, moving on to Xavier Pinson, he really came on strong late. He kind of – I don't know if it was something he realized on his own or if the coaching staff and him kind of put it together together that you 
need somebody to score. <laughs> I mean, with the injuries that Missouri was dealing with and the struggle shooting from deep, he was like, okay, I get it. I'm going to have to get to the rim, get to the free throw line, make some jump shots. And that's exactly what he did down the stretch. And it carried Missouri to a couple wins. Uh, he and Drew both just getting to the rim, getting to the foul line. Obviously, they broke free throw shooting records last year. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's fun to see a light bulb go on for a player that's talented and you know has the ability to be really good. And I think that's exactly what happened. I, and like you said, I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know, but he all of a sudden, you could tell he had the confidence that I can score against anyone at any time. And that's really what he did for the second half of the year. And I kind of expect him to do that again this year. I expect him to have that scoring mentality um, that I can, I can score whenever I want against whoever I'm playing. And, you know, I think obviously his ceiling is a lot higher than probably anybody else on the team. And, I, you know, he, he really could have a first team all SEC type season if he's able to um, stay healthy all year. And um, I really think he has that potential. Yeah. Just look at his last uh, eight or nine games of last season and project that out over a full season. That may be asking a little too much, but we know it's possible, you know, even for a third of a, of a season. So. Yeah, I mean, and that's just kind of what this Mizzou team needs. You know, we don't – we have a bunch of guys that are good, you know, moderate. But, you know, we really need a, a guy to really step up and be the leader and um, score a bucket when we need it and um, just kind of be a leader on and off the court. I think Xavier Penson can do that. And we've talked about Torrance Watson quite a bit already, but he's the last uh, returning guard that I have down. Uh, we'll sneak we'll sneak Pickett in here in just a minute. Um I mean, we, we've we've said a, a bit about him already, just kind of really hot and cold. Um, I think he did provide something that Konza wanted to see on the defensive end at times last year and got some playing time just because of that. So um, I'd rather that playing time go to someone who is active on the defensive end and making shots. So if he's that guy, then fantastic. But I don't think... I don't think we have a lot of time. Uh, we didn't have it last year. I don't think we're going to have it this upcoming season to have a guy on the floor who's just providing solid defense. We need guys out there that can make shots. Yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy that can win you a game against pretty much anybody if he's on. And that's the unfortunate part about a guy that's streaky is you got to just play him all the time and hope that you get a good game. And you, you can't just only play him when you know he's going to go off. Uh, it doesn't work like that. So the streaky guys, you got to put them in there to take their lumps and also go and hit seven threes in the game. So yeah. you know, I think we'll just continue to see both of those things from uh, Torrance Watson this year. Okay, so slide Javon Pickett right in here. Um, the the roster, the official roster calls him a guard. I, I'm I'm probably going to always call him a forward, but uh, maybe if he could handle the ball a little bit better, I'd be more likely to call him a guard. Yeah. But uh, just a solid guy that is just always in the lineup, it seems like. Yeah, just always playing hard and, and he knows where to be. And, uh, you know, maybe he played the four a little bit more because we just kind of needed some depth there this past year. And uh, But, you know, I will obviously get to the, the forwards here in a minute. But I think that we've got the depth we need um, this year that's maybe ho hopefully he won't have to overextend himself to, to have to guard guys four inches taller than him too often. But um, – but he's shown he has the ability to do that at a pretty good level. So, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of just the utility guy that you can kind of play him in different positions and he'll, uh, he may not be 
the best and he may not be super athletically gifted, but you know, he'll, he'll play hard and, and give you good minutes. So the official, the officially deemed forwards that are on the roster returning from previous seasons are Jeremiah Tillman, Mitchell Smith, Kobe Brown, and Parker Brown. Now, I like that group of four as uh, a foursome that can hold down the four and five spots. I mean, between those four guys, I don't see how you'll need to, you know, I don't see Jordan Wilmore necessarily needing to be a part of that uh, front court rotation when you've got those four guys. Now, you're going to be playing smaller at times uh, with Parker Brown and Mitchell Smith playing the five, but they've got the length and the height to provide rim protection and rebound and finish around the basket when Tillman's not on the floor. Um, any of those guys you want to talk about first? Um, yeah, I guess I'll just jump in with, uh, with Jeremiah Tillman. Um, seems like he's been in the program for forever. He kind of has. Yeah. Um, the opposing uh, uh, SEC teams will be thinking that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Jeremiah Tillman, you know, in the last couple of years. And um, we've always – known he's a talented guy with a high ceiling he just kind of needs to put it all together on the defensive end and stay out of foul trouble and and I mean honestly I'm not sure anything's really changed um it's just we hope that we know that they're a lot better when he's on the floor and we just kind of need him to be there um I think we have a little bit better depth this year um than we've had in the past um but it's still we just really need him to to be out there the uh Mizzou social media kind of brought a, a little bit of a storm upon themselves when they posted that uh, little video of Tillman dunking in practice. Obviously, he looked fantastic, but that just invites so many comments of, okay, yeah, well, is he going to stay on the floor? Um, you know. Yeah, and, I believe the, the caption was like, Tillman's ready. And yeah. then like, there were like, some comments like, ready to get in foul trouble. Yeah. Um, so. Yes, you're right. They did kind of in, invite that a little bit, but um, and that's unfortunately just kind of the feeling is we're just kind of tired of Tillman being mediocre, and yeah. you know that seems a little brutal. But like he's just he was a, a strong recruit coming in, and uh, we know we've seen flashes where he looks like he can be all all SEC, and but he's out there for 12 minutes, and you know that's all we get. And so I, I think that the fan base is is ready to to see him show some consistency. Do you remember, I'm going to make you think back here. Do you remember the uh, showdown for relief? Obviously mm -hmm. that was against Kansas uh, before Gonzo's first season uh, exhibition game. Tillman had a spin move dunk and then a dunk over um, Preston for KU. That was like, who is this guy? Like, yeah. and that was like, that was his freshman season. Yeah. And we still see that. We saw that, you know, later during the season, once or twice. We saw flashes of that his sophomore season. And we, we've seen that all through his career. Yet we just haven't seen that next step to being just the solid rock that you need on your team or that you expect from a guy that's been in the program that was that highly rated. It just seems like he, he came into the program with this skill level and ability and he's maintained that and it's been and that that skill level is truly fantastic but he just can't be consistent enough and i'm wondering 
are a lot of those fans in those comment sections, in those replies, just thinking, okay, you know, I'm not going to do this a fourth time. I'm not going to get my hopes up for him to be spectacular a fourth time and then be disappointed again. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think it's perfectly reasonable to have your reservations about what to expect out of Tillman. Um, we, like you said, I, I, we were at the Iowa state game, his first real game ever. And, uh, he had a fantastic game and we were like, kind of like you said, who is this guy? I mean, we knew who he was, but like, wow, Tillman. He's ready. Yeah. He's here. Be, yeah. He was great right away. Yeah. And just as again, as you said, just kind of has been exactly that and never really got better. In fact, he almost has seemed like he's been worse at times and it's on the, is on the court. I almost said on the field on the court uh, less than he was his freshman year. Yeah. And so you just kind of have to wonder why that happened. And, um, so I, I hate to be pessimistic, but I also don't want to get too excited um, when I think about what he could bring to the table. But yeah. in the back of my mind, I know that it's possible. He really could bring something we've never seen. And if he's consistent, he's going to be a fantastic player. The only guy that's been in the program uh, longer than Jeremiah Tillman, it seems like, is Mitchell Smith, um, a Kim Anderson recruit. It's wild. Yeah. He has truly been around forever. Yes. And uh, he was on my three-on-three team last year. You know, I went Smith, Smith, Smith. And he made me look good, honestly. He had, a, I think, a really good season. Um, some noteworthy plays, some clutch three-pointers in big games. Um, I was just watching the highlights of the Illinois game, which it just seems like it, it's going to be really – I'm so happy they're playing that game this year, but it's going to be sad not having the crowd because that St. Louis crowd when it's half Illinois, half Mizzou is an awesome environment. And it seems like the players really feed off of it in particular. um, Javon Pickett, obviously being from St. Louis, um, but, and Mitchell Smith gets fired up and plays with a lot of emotion and he hit some threes um, that were big shots and then took a charge in the Illinois game and he was just really fired up about it. And so, but that just him spreading the floor and then playing solid defense, even if that means taking a charge, then fantastic. I mean, that's his role. And if he can master that, then he will be a tremendous asset to this team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's never going to be the guy that you rely on for 15 points in a game or anything like that. I don't think he's ever going to be that. And I think he's understood that. And uh, like you said, he's kind of the the clue guy that that just is always there whenever you need a big uh, a big play or a big emotional play. And uh, you know, I'll admit sometimes he started shooting threes. And I'm like, no, 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 yes, yes. <laughs> and then like you know, just kind of you don't really expe- expect him to shoot a lot of threes, but you know, he was sometimes one of the more reliable three point shooters, which seems crazy to say. Um. Ha- how do you like his chances of defending? Like if, if he's the primary backup at the five, like I'm looking at these names, we still need to talk about Kobe Brown and Parker Brown, but I guess you have to go between Mitchell Smith and Parker Brown. If you're not wanting Jordan Wilmore to be that primary backup for Tillman is one of the, do you feel comfortable with Mitchell Smith defending the five in the sec? Uh, I do. Yeah. I think he's probably one of the better defenders on the roster, to be honest, at least he's, probably one of the more experienced and proven defenders. 
Um, you know, and if they're really trying to, to go tall, I think they can play Tillman and Mark Smith. I mean, not Mark Smith, M- Mitchell Smith at the mm-hmm. same time at the four and five. And, you know, I think Mark that Smith could, too. play him too. Mark Smith. Yeah. Throw all this, all the Smiths. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think Mitchell Smith can be, can be serviceable at either position defensively. Okay. Uh, coming into his sophomore season, we have Kobe Brown. Kobe uh, was the freshman that stuck around from last season and um, partly I'm sure due to the fact that he got a ton of playing time and started a bunch of games and Conzo loves his game, loves what he brings defensively, loves his ability to stretch the floor. That's a, that's a common theme with this team. Um, Pretty much outside of Tillman who, I mean, we've heard rumors that he can shoot a three, but he'll never do it in a game. He did make one three last year, shot clock situation um and it looked pretty good but that's a theme on this roster is being able to spread the floor and play defense and kobe brown has that he's extremely athletic he's a good rebounder um he's smart with the basketball in his hand i don't know i i maybe i'll ask you later and spoiler alert for my answer but kobe brown is somebody that i'm really looking at as uh, a player that can maybe take the next the next step and be a solid contributor and really show something special in the sec. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime you're dealing with a player who is in their sophomore year and showed a lot of potential their freshman year, I mean, obviously they're, they're automatically a candidate for, for a breakout season. And um, you just hope that they kind of, sometimes you can have the sophomore slump and go the other way, but you know, certainly you, you think about Kobe Brown as being a guy that can kind of take the next step and, um, you know, he's a little bit undersized, but, you know, I still think he can be a good defender and um, he showed that he could pr- reliably hit threes at times last year too. Yeah. I was, um, when we were talking about Mitchell Smith, I, I pulled up the three point shooting stats for last year's team and it's just kind of crazy. I mean, um, Mark Smith shot 37%. Outside of him, Drew Smith and Mitchell Smith were both at 29.4 Pickett 28 Watson 28 Penson 28 Kobe Brown 25 that's it I mean that's a, a lot of mediocre to bad three-point shooting so uh, a, a slight uptick there from Kobe would be fantastic but honestly where he impressed me the most was just kind of his athletic plays of getting putbacks and getting uh, kind of like sneaky rebounds where he nobody blocked him out so he just got in there and got the ball and either put it back up or kicked it out to kind of restart the offense on the offensive end so um I don't know I think I would actually maybe rather him not be shooting as many threes but if I mean in last year's situation if nobody else can we need somebody to keep keep firing away yeah I'm fine with him stepping out and taking a few threes every once in a while because that's just I mean, that makes the defense step out and guard you. I mean, if they just pack it in every time, it's going to make it really difficult to score, especially if you can't shoot on top of that. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Kobe Brown stepping out because he's shown that he can, you know, confidently hit shots. For, but I agree. I mean, I don't um, know that I want him shooting 100 threes in a season or anything. But, yeah, um, it, I, th- I think it can only help the offense if he can prove uh, that he needs to be guarded. And then Parker Brown, no relation. Uh he came in last year and kind of some spot minutes and uh, kind of showed some flashes, showed some ability to protect the rim, showed the ability to finish at the rim, 
had some impressive uh, dunks and alley-oop finishes last year. Um, and he was kind of used as an emergency big man um, behind Tillman and Nico. But uh, he's been getting rave reviews from the offseason um, and the practices. And uh, his teammates have named him as a guy that has improved a ton over the offseason. So I think something's got to give here with these with these four guys that somebody's going to be kind of pushed out of playing time. Um, maybe that's Parker Brown. I, I only say that because he was the had the fewest minutes of these players last season. Um, not even talking about if Jordan Wilmore is going to come in and play who where's where his minutes going to come from. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Is he the guy? Is he the the odd man out of that group? Honestly, I kind of hope not. I actually uh, kind of hope it's more Mitchell Smith because I think that uh, these other guys just bring a, more upside um, to the game. And, um, you know, I think Parker Brown, like, was used very sparingly but played almost more efficiently than anybody on the team last year because when he was in there, he really packed the stat sheet. And, you know, he could score a rebound. He had assists. Um, clearly, he's a, a talented guy and just didn't get a whole lot of opportunity last year. And I thought he should have played more. Um, you know, he was a pretty talented recruit too. I mean, he had some pretty high major offers and had that weird deal where he came in as a walk-on at Mizzou. And, um, but, you know, he had a lot of high major interest. And, you know, I think that we saw flashes of that last year with all the rave reviews of him this offseason as being like the most improved player. I would love to see him come in and, and kind of command more playing time and um, be that kind of athletic uh, down low presence. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to be in a situation where we're looking at these four guys and being like, uh, you know, they're all playing awesome. So yeah. we can't afford to not have them on the court. Yeah. I only say Mitchell Smith just because I think we know what he is at this point and yeah. he's serviceable, but you know, I think that these other guys could play at a higher level, you know, if they, uh, sure. if they truly have improved, like we've heard. That makes sense. All right, so we've we've covered everybody there. Um, let's let's talk about some lineup possibilities. Um, I like to always think about who or what uh, combination of guys will be the most often used uh, starting lineup uh, before the season. I'll never forget uh, before we did the podcast. I I tweeted or asked you or you tweeted. I can't remember. It was before Conzo's first season. Uh, you tweeted out a poll that was like, which um, which starting lineup will be the most commonly used? And Terrence Phillips was a member of every single one of the starting lineups that you tweeted out as an option. And he was not the most commonly used point guard at the end of the season. So uh, all five of the options were wrong, or however many there were. But uh, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of the most common starting lineup this season because we're basically running it back and just um, swap out a couple players. I want to let you know, I was looking at last year's totals and the most commonly used starting lineup, there were eight different starting lineups used last season. Most commonly used was used in nine games with a record of four wins and five losses. And that was Drew Smith, Xavier Penson, Javon Pickett, Kobe Brown and Reed Nico. That's a little bit surprising, but it's really, it makes sense when you think about it. And then uh, just behind that, I do want to mention at seven games with four wins, three losses is the combination of 
Drew Smith, Mark Smith, Javon Pickett, Kobe Brown, and Jeremiah Tillman. Yeah, if you couldn't um, pick up my enthusiasm or lack of, you know, about some of the additions to the team, you know, you can probably make the assumption that this year's team is pretty similar to last year's team. As far as the people we expect to contribute, you know, we really hope that some of the players on the roster that have been here for a little while can take the next step. But for the most part, you know, Conzo Martin has, and we've said this before, Conzo Martin is, is again, pl placing a bet on his players that he's had around in the program for a couple of years. He knows probably what the team could look like if these guys take the next step. And, um, I think that's something that would be enjoyable to watch, but, you know, I, I don't see many of the you know, the new additions, you know, carving out a big role this year. I'm really just banking on um, some of those guys, you know, coming back and just having a, a better season than they had last year. Okay. Who you got for the, uh, the one spot, who's the most commonly started point guard, let's say. Uh, I'll just say Drew Smith. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And then at the two spot. Got Xavier Penson. I do as well. Then at the three. I've got Mark Smith. Okay. That's that's the first. I have Mark Smith as well, but that's the first spot where I wonder what will happen. Well, well let me get your number four spot first. I've got Kobe Brown. Me here. I've got Kobe Brown as well. Um, where does Javon Pickett fit into that? Because he, he just always finds his way into the starting lineup. Now, right. if everybody's healthy all season – does that happen? I guess we'll find out. Hopefully we'll find out. But it seems like Conzo just loves getting Pickett into that starting lineup, and that would have to come at the expense of Mark Smith or Kobe Brown, I would think. I don't, I don't see how – I don't think you have Penson coming off the bench. No, definitely not. And I, I guess my attitude towards Javon Pickett is similar to my attitude with Mitch Smith is, you know, we love what they can contribute and we know what we're going to get from them 100% of the time, but they don't really offer that upside that other players can offer if they're playing to the best of their ability and consistently. So I guess preferably I'd love to see Javon Pickett play more in a reserve role and because other guys are, are flourishing. Yeah, uh, but and hopefully Conzo, uh, he probably sees it that way too. But you know, early on, Javon Pickett came in on coming in as a freshman was already playing at a pretty high level, and that's probably the same level he's going to play at all four years. Was pretty attractive at the time mm -hmm. when we didn't have as much depth. But I think I'd like to probably see him play a, a little bit more reserve. I would agree with you there, and then probably I guess the <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you have uh, Jordan Wilmore at the five. Yep. <laughs> tallest player wins a job that's that yeah i mean you got to have him jumping for the ball right there you go you don't want to give up that first possession you're right uh no i'm just kidding i have uh jeremiah tillman yes and uh obviously we maybe i've sounded like i'm a little bit down on tillman but it's only because i know and it's the same with a lot of mizzou fans out there it's only because we know what he's capable of and want to see it so bad before yep. his eligibility runs out Yep, you got to trot him out there. You can't, you can't not play him. Yeah. Uh, then give me your, give me your top contributor off the bench. I wrote down Mitch Smith. Um, you know, before this episode started, um, you know, I'm not really sure what I think about that prediction now. Uh, I honestly think I might like Parker Brown more. I, I really have no idea what to expect as far as kind of the sixth man, but we, we know Mitch Smith is going to get a lot of playing time. I don't think you're going to be able to take him off the floor just with how steady he is. So 
I don't know. I, I guess I'll just keep him as a uh, kind of my my top as far as minutes go. I think I'll put him as my sixth man. I don't know about like true like production. Sure. Yeah, I'm slotting in uh, Javon Pickett at that spot. Yeah. Just and you know, I was I was kind of deciding between Pickett, Mitchell Smith, and Drew Bugs. Honestly, it, it'll be interesting to see how the point guard minutes get doled out yeah. or the primary ball handler minutes get doled out because I could see him. I could see him being the 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 second leading minutes guy at, for primary ball handler because um, I think if you if you're gonna get scoring punch from Drew Smith and Xavier Penson, you might need Drew Bugs kind of distributing to those guys a little bit more. Although yeah, we, we know Penson we, can do it with the ball in his hands, so yeah. maybe maybe it just squeezes Bugs out of the out of the rotation but i mean what would be the point in going and getting them then i'm just right. i guess well, i'm i'm talking through my confusion here in this whole thing that was definitely my thought at the time whenever we we did adam was you know i'm not sure this makes as much sense um but maybe we just really think xavier penson is going to play off the ball more and he's going to just be relied upon to be that scoring threat all of the time instead of a, a ball handler like he was more uh, last year but I can't shake the fact that he was most effective scoring last year by driving to the basket and initiating exactly. the offense, like from the top of the key. So, right. He's definitely not like a spot up shooter at all. So, right. you know, I, I definitely don't know that you want to take the ball out of his hands. So yeah, that, that honestly might be kind of the biggest mystery of the entire season is just how are you, they going to split up the playing time between those three guards? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other players that you, that we, I mean, we talked about all of them, but any anything you want to mention about anybody that we glossed over? Uh, I guess okay, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, and this is right. not, this isn't about a player, but it's about uh, the head man, Conzo Martin. Okay. Is there any chance he's coaching for his job this season? Hmm. Well, uh, I I've said in uh, previous episodes regarding football coaches this year that I can't imagine. Uh, firing a coach in the middle of this COVID football season uh, in 2020. But um, we just saw, we talked about it on the previous episode. We saw Will Muschamp get fired from uh, South Carolina Mm -hmm. and this, this could, this would blow up in my face if somebody actually like uh, researched this very much, but I could maybe see a similarity in, Consul Martin and a Will Muschamp who has been at a place for a while to where even with a weird season where you might have guys miss uh, games due to testing positive or having to um, isolate I don't know I could see a situation where if things get bad enough he could at the at the beginning of the season no he's not coaching for his job but I could see a situation where things start out poorly and aren't improving. And then that would definitely be on the table by season's end, I think. Uh, Sure. Yeah. 100%. Um, I think that's a possibility. I I think just he's not coaching for his job this year, single-handedly just because of the buyout situation. You know, I, I didn't do any research, but off the top of my head, I still think if they fire him, after the season it's six million dollars yeah you know mizzou just dropped a lot of money on coach drinkwitz i'm not sure they're in a position to spend six million dollars on a uh 
on a coaching on a new on a coaching change either but you know it, yeah. it just kind of depends on how the season goes you know the expectations are reasonably high and you know with and if somehow the wheels come off and then maybe that's something that's on the table but i'm thinking like 90 percent he's he's coaching here next year maybe more 90 to 95 percent. yeah i mean from yeah from that standpoint you make an excellent point that just from the economics of it it's probably it's probably set in stone uh, for the most part and there was some success on the recruiting trail um yeah for the upcoming class so um, and we just don't know how like you said we don't know how COVID is going to affect the season I mean right. where there could be stretches where we can't play two or three games you know if we've got a couple of games close together or something like that I I just you don't know how an administrator is going to look at the season um, with expectations with everything you know depending on how the season goes but you hope that there's a little bit of grace and understanding but yeah, and you can't you can't overstate the fact that uh, Jim Sterk hired Conzo yeah. Martin. Uh, this is not a coach that he inherited, a la Barry Odom. So yep. uh, his his leash is going to be longer, and he invested a ton of money in him. Um, yeah. I mean, from an economic standpoint, at some point you got to cut loose uh, and not think about sunk costs anymore. But um, we're not quite at that point yet because um, you know he's still got that uh, time left on his contract. So for sure, yeah. That's, I hope we're not, man, I hope we're not in a situation where we're having to really talk about this. Although no, things would have to be terrible. if Coaching we were... searches are fun, but I would not wish this particular coaching search. Uh, things, yeah, things would have to get a lot worse for me to be uh, on board for that, even though uh, it'd probably give us a few extra listeners to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Agree with everything you just said. <laughs> All right, let's take a look. Uh, let's take a look down the schedule real quick. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing here. I mean, there's, there's opportunities, um, I think, for Missouri uh, as kind of a prelude into it. Let me pull up Ken Palm here. If you don't know Ken Palm, KenPalm.com is um, one of the better analytics um, and data-driven uh, predictive um, sports websites out there. Um, they do college basketball and – um, Missouri uh, in the preseason here is ranked 59th. Um, I said they finished like in the 90s at the end yeah, of last season. Yeah, it was like 90. 93. Yeah. So uh, they have a little bit of hope behind them according to the advanced metrics. And Ken Palm's got them projected to win. <laughs> I didn't actually look at this before I did my own projections, but has them winning 12 games, so 12 and 10 and 9 and 9 in conference. But as I look here, that does not include the game against Wichita State, which, as far as we know at this moment, is happening. But uh, I clicked on Wichita State's Kempom profile, and there's only three games on their schedule, so there must be some weird scheduling stuff going on with the Shockers. But uh, we will need to keep that in mind here for the schedule. When it comes to Missouri's spot in the Southeastern Conference as a whole, uh, Ken Popham has them right in the middle. And uh, obviously that makes sense with the nine and nine record. So, but they do uh, project them to have an adjusted tempo of 289th. Yikes. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's all pretty reasonable. Um, 
that's probably, you know, without really doing much research, that's probably where I would have thought they would be around that point on in Ken Palm. Um, sounds like they learned their lesson a little bit from last season that maybe some of these players aren't quite what they expected them to be uh, analytically. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. I, I, ha- I think I have them winning. I think I'm a little bit more optimistic maybe than Ken Palm has them. But uh, like you said, there's probably some inconsistencies with how many games were with what games were counting. But you know, I think Missouri does have a couple more games that may be on the schedule that haven't right. really been confirmed yet. But I didn't include those in my rank in my uh, predictions. Yeah, I added in uh, Wichita State here. I did do Wichita State. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had to add that to mine. Um, so uh, we'll just uh, show you how the sausages sausages made here. Should we? Uh, you want to just go through each of these really quick and give a, a wild prediction on a win and a loss for each one? Sure. Okay. Um, so we'll start out with a uh, home game against Oral Roberts a week from tonight or a few days from now when you're listening to this. That better be a win. You got to be. Uh, then a road matchup against Wichita State. Honestly, this was uh, one of the harder games for me to pick just because I think there's a lot of uncertainty at Wichita State right now with Greg Marshall. Yeah, that's um, an understatement. By the, by the way, I think he's getting paid over $7 million to walk away. Um, yeah. Whenever he was the reason that he was suddenly fired, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but, fired with uh, cause, and here's almost $8 million. Yeah. Um, I actually predicted this as a loss. I, I think just it's a tough place to play. Um it's a, been a really good program the last, you know, eight or 10 years. Uh, they were better um, probably seven or eight years ago than they are now, obviously. But um, I still think that's a tough place to, to go and win, even with uh, coaching uncertainty. Um, I could definitely change my mind after seeing Wichita State play a, a game or two. But at this point, I think I'm going to say it's a loss. I've got it as a win just because of all the craziness that's going on with that program right now. I mean, they're going to have a new coach. They lost so many players last season, still had an okay season last year. I mean, still won 20 plus games like Mm -hmm. they have for the last 80 years in a row. But, um, (laughs) and you're looking at like polar opposites as far as uh, where two programs are right now. You have Wichita state. I I, I don't want to say they're like in free fall because the wins are still, are still there for the most part, but the mass exodus that they saw last season plus now uh, their coach being dismissed versus Missouri bringing back everybody and has stability in their coaching staff. Um, I see that being the advantage for Missouri and I've got that as a win. Yeah. I mean, say what you want about Greg Marshall as a person. He's probably not a great person, <laughs> but he's Apparently. a really good, he's a really good coach. Um, yeah. And so that will probably affect uh, their level of play over the next couple of years. There's uh, a not insignificant amount of Mizzou fans that wanted very much wanted Greg Marshall to be the head coach of the Missouri Tigers instead of Conzo Martin. So yeah. I would geez. say uh, about half of the power five teams in the country could have said yeah. at some point they wanted Greg Marshall yeah. to be their coach. And who, who would you be if you said, nah, I'll pass on Greg Marshall. I mean, talking about years ago when, right. this, when these decisions were being made, obviously, uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty, and maybe maybe there's some people out there who knew, who had heard rumors of this type of thing. I mean, yeah. Now that it's out, people are saying, "Yeah, we kind of knew about this." Which don't you shouldn't say that out loud because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was getting paid over you know north of three million dollars to to coach a powerhouse program in the Missouri Valley, and then of course now like whatever they're in the 
yeah. AAC American but, Conference. Yeah. yeah. So um, he had he had pretty good. All right, moving on to a home game against Liberty. Uh, Hugh freezes own. <laughs> I'll say it's a win. Okay, me too. Uh, then um, a little bit tougher matchup against the uh, 126th ranked Bradley out of the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, I'll say that's a win. I think that's a sneaky, tough game, actually. I think Bradley is probably one of the better teams in the Missouri Valley. And uh, I think they could give Missouri a run for their money if they're not at the tip top of their game. Mm-hmm. But I still think they pull it out. Yep, I've got that as a win as well. You may have skipped over a, a game. Let's hear it. The uh, bragging rights game. Oh yes, uh, no, that actually isn't on the uh, the list I was looking at here. So um, that's an that's important, an important one. one. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to try to find um, Illinois' Ken Palm rating here real quick. Seventeenth. Yeah, they got a lot of good players coming back. They're going to be t- tough. All right. I guess I got to just chalk it up at a loss. I considering it wasn't on my schedule and Missouri's won the last two. They Illinois probably due to get one back. Man, I was really happy to see Missouri win the coin flip for this game because the only shot they have at winning this game is the fact that it's at home. If it was on a neutral site or at Illinois, I think it's just an easy loss. I think I got a little optimistic here and I said this is going to be a win um just because I think Missouri's done well in this in this series recently, and they got mm-hmm. the game at home. Um, I I'll say they pull it out. Okay, yeah, I'll be rooting for you. I mean, I'll be rooting <laughs> for them with you. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, then we are moving into conference play at home with uh, number six, number nineteen, Tennessee, and I had to have that as a loss. Uh. I have it as a win. Um, I think that I may change my mind on that. Um, I think Tennessee has a chance to obviously be really good. Um, some good p- returning production and uh, obviously a legendary coach. Um, yeah. But I, I, They're going to be good was, for a while, too. They, they just yeah, signed they the Kennedy Chandler, number one yeah. point guard in the country. Uh, Cam English, it won't be there for long. He's going to get a head coaching job somewhere. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, – Missouri most likely will probably not win both of these games, Illinois and Tennessee, but uh, for now, I'm going to predict them as wins. All right. Sounds good. Uh, then we go on the road to Arkansas. Arkansas uh, 54th in the preseason Kim Palm ratings, and I have that as a loss. I have that as a loss, yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you're kind of looking at me like, surely not. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Arkansas, it seems like this is a game we never win on the road. I don't think that changes. Yeah. I think I said when we did this last year, I'll pretty much always write off the game at Bud Walton as a loss and the home game against Arkansas as a win. But that That's, was because that was more uh, due to Mike Anderson's inability to win on the road. True. And so maybe that's not quite as true anymore. It was the case last year. True. Um, then we go on the road to Mississippi State, who is projected to have a little bit of a down year. They're at 77 in Kimbaum. And I do uh, have that as a road win. This is will be a little bit of a theme uh, with my schedule is uh, I just typically think away games are really hard to win no matter who you're playing. Um, I have this as a loss just single-handedly because it's on the road. And um, I just – for I don't know what it is. I've probably ranted about it on this podcast before, but it's almost this uh, intangible that I can't really put wrap my mind around. But for whatever reason, 
when you're on the road, it is just a different, it's a totally different thing. And uh, it's so much harder to win. Yeah. No, I can't fault you there. Um, so then in a home matchup against LSU, that means what to you? Got them pulled in out. Okay. I have it as a loss. We've got a lot of differing, differing opinion here early yeah. on. Uh, I don't think we'll differ on this one uh, against 125th ranked Vanderbilt at home. I've got that one as a win. Same. Then we go on the road to Texas A&M. I think we'll be in agreement again. I have that as a loss, although Texas A&M, a little bit of a rebuild mode. Yeah, I mean, obviously these are games that Missouri could steal on the road against Mississippi State and A&M. I have them both as losses. Then back at home against South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina finally without uh, Chris Silva. <laughs> uh, I think he graduated finally, so uh, number so. 61 in Kempom. I got it as a win. Me too. So I'm going to give you a little uh, spoiler alert here for the next four games on the schedule on my list. I've got a nasty little four-game losing streak for the Missouri Tigers. So that's at Tennessee, at Auburn, home against TCU in the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge, and then home against number 12, Kentucky. Obviously, the TCU game at home sticks out as one that they could easily win, but um, I've got four losses in a row there. Uh, I've got them winning TCU, but I have them losing all the all three of the other games. Then I do have them bouncing back, though, and I've got a four-game winning streak. Oh. against Alabama at home, Ole Miss on the road, Arkansas at home, Georgia on the road. I have them bouncing back against Alabama, but losing on the road at Ole Miss. I, if I remember correctly, Kim Palm has this game as one of the biggest deficits of Missouri's schedule is on the road against Ole Miss. Um, but I do have them beating Arkansas and then Georgia on the road. Ken Palm's got uh, Missouri losing that game by three. That might change since the uh, last time I looked at it, but it did. I know for a fact they had them losing it, but for some reason yeah. at one point, I remember that being a larger deficit than, than other games. Interesting. Um, and then, sorry, remind me, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, Arkansas and Georgia. Uh, both wins. Gotcha. Um, then on the road against South Carolina, I've got that as a loss. Same. I've got back-to-back -back wins at home against Ole Miss and A&M. Same. And then a uh, loss to close out the season on the road at Florida. Same. So that leaves me – before I added in the games that Ken Palm wasn't recognizing – I had the exact same record as that website at 12 and 10, nine and nine in conference, but uh, adding in those two games, uh, Wichita state I've got as a win, Illinois I've got as a loss. That puts me at a record of 13 and 11, nine and nine in the SEC. Yeah, I've got 14 and 10 and then nine and nine in the conference. Sorry, I had to like count up my, my conference okay. wins, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think, this team is pretty similar to what it was last year, maybe just a little better. Um, I th think this team hangs its hat on uh, good defense. 
and just getting by with decent offense and hopefully, you know, they're able to play. I, I would love to see them play at a little bit faster pace and obviously hit the three ball. I mean, that changes a lot. Um, if you can hit the three ball consistently, the, the whole game changes, but um, they haven't really shown that anyone on this roster can do it. Yeah. We've talked about pretty much every season and we could look back to the last 10 seasons and there's always three to five games that are incredibly close that don't go Missouri's way. And if, you know, really in college basketball, all it takes is better three point shooting. I mean, that's something that can just change the fortunes of a season. If you're consistently hitting outside shots, which at this point, I think we kind of know what we're getting from this Missouri team, from these, from these players, which is why I'm not super optimistic. I don't have them at, you know, 15 to 17 wins, but that's something that if, if they can start hitting those, then that can flip three to five games in their favor very easily. That's where I could see them maybe, um, you know, cracking that top half of the conference. And um, I don't know what we're looking at as far as conference tournaments and stuff like that. Obviously (laughs) we have no idea, but uh, you know, the offense coming around and especially being able to hit shots from outside, that's something that could really catapult them up in the standings. Yeah, absolutely. Three point. Uh, I mean, we've seen it time and time again, and, you know, any team can beat anybody if they get hot on a certain night. And that's typically the, the way it happens. That's what we saw in that are, Florida game last year. Yep. They've got guys that, that can hit the three. We just need it to be at a higher level more often, basically. All right, Kyle, do we have time for that three-on-three? What do you think? I don't even know how long this has been going. I don't either. It seems like it's been a while. It does. It's been over an hour. So, you guys. I'm fine to push it, but... All right. um, That's a a big tease. That's a big cliffhanger for next next week. We're going to... Exactly. You have to tune in next week. Uh, We're (laughs) going to... We're going to... Recap the South Carolina football game, preview game one of the basketball season, and that is where you will find our NBA Street video game style three-on-three draft. Third Sounds annual. like fun. All right. Third I'll be annual. there. I'll, I'll be, be there. there. <laughs> I'll think about it. All right. Anything well, else you want to say about this basketball team? I mean, that I kind of summed up my thoughts uh, a minute ago, but, you know, I – would love to see uh, more offense from this team. Um, yeah. I think that's that's going to be the difference maker. Um, I think we know what we're going to get for the most part, but um, you know, this is the last season for probably a lot of guys on this team, and kind of the the last hurrah if you know some of these guys to to make the NCAA tournament and and make a dent on the uh, on the program. Hey, eligibility doesn't mean anything. That's true, but so, yeah, I th- we never know. I, you never know. I think Collins has kind of hinted that most seniors will probably move on, but yeah, I well, mean, they, all of them have the ability to uh, to come yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, I hope some of those guys want to come back. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it as long as it doesn't interfere with the record books. I'll be fine with it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm. Re- I'm just so excited though. The beginning of basketball season is so fun. I don't know that first game, seeing the the starting lineup. And uh, seeing the guys in black and gold, I don't know. Does basketball is just a little bit extra special 
for me personally. And it, it doesn't matter how bad the team is. I'm going to tune in every week to see, you know, I don't, if there, if you, you could tell me that Missouri is going to score 48 points in every single game this season, I would still watch because I'm, I would just want to see, well, somebody, if they're scoring 48, who's going to get those points? I'm yeah. really intrigued to see. Yeah. I mean, you can always pull something interesting out of yeah. even, even losing teams, but yeah, I wish that we could attend some games this year. I don't know if that's going to be able to happen, but uh, it's true. I, I just love the the aesthetic of a college basketball game and the smell of popcorn when you walk in the door and just, mm. uh, I don't know, there's something special about it. And uh, I, hopefully we'll, you know, be able to have that experience. But even if we don't, um, I, I agree with you. I, I love the start of a new season. Yep. All right. Well, to wrap this thing up, um, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. That was much better than last episode. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't done it in a while. I was rusty. You can find our shirts and stickers on our little online shop, uh, Missouri Sports Pod.bigcartel.com. Not long sleeve, though. Sorry, guys. Just for us. If you want a long sleeve, let us know. We we need some demand, though. There you go. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will see you in just a couple more days.